Thank you to our show sponsors, Acadian Plant Health, Corteva Enlist D3, and Atoma Canada. While other sources of innovation run dry and fail to understand your needs, Atoma is here to deliver. And we're all in on you. Talk to your Atoma sales rep today. Hi, everyone. I am your host, Lindsay Smith. Welcome to The Agronomists. Uh, really looking forward to tonight's show. Great to see so many of you already in the comments. Uh, we started essentially on time. Peter. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great to see everybody. So this is uh, fantastic. And um, Kevin, I second Warren Schneckenberger's point about last cut before what? The next one. Uh, so Kevin is out in BC. I feel like they have green grass all year round and are cutting hay. Um, but uh, and maybe the maybe the fields, maybe the lawn. We'll see. Okay. All right. Uh, I am not three minutes late, Peter. Okay. Anyway, I, I Quick reminder, of course, if you collect those CU credits, uh, tonight's conversation will qualify for those. Head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomist tomorrow uh, and let us know you watch the show and we'll collect those up. Uh, tonight's topic, we are talking compaction and specifically we're talking tires versus tracks. So get those questions ready. We'll bring in tonight's guests. Uh, we have, this is super fun, you guys. We've got Nick Dubuc from uh, a farmer and ag engineer from Quebec, not far from where I am, about two hours down the road from me. Welcome here, Nick. Good evening. All right. And Marla Reichman from the very snowy Manitoba. (laughs) Marla, how are you? I'm doing okay. A little chilly, but you know, we're good. We're Manitobans. We can handle it. Yeah, that's right. Um, it is going to be a Halloween tomorrow where the kids have to put the outfit over the snowsuit in Manitoba. Yes. That is a standard thing out here, isn't it? Yes, you have to make sure it's big enough to go over the winter, the winter gear. That is a thing. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, uh, we're not going to complain, uh, with the little skiff of snow we had. Well, we're going to complain a little bit, but anyway. Um, okay. But it does, it dovetails in nicely to this discussion about wet conditions, harvest conditions and compaction, all of which we're going to tackle tonight. But Nick, let's start off with, uh, you do farm in Quebec uh, and an ag engineer. Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, many of you will know him from Twitter, but tell us about yourself, Nick. Yeah, so uh, farm with my family south of Montreal. We have a dairy operation, about 300 acres of land. So I stay involved on that part of the operation with my brothers. And I also work as a full-time engineer product manager for Susi Track, so working in the rubber track business. And I've been involved in, I guess, a lot of discussions. I guess I always end up getting tagged in any discussion that involves tracks versus tires. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a good, interesting one tonight. I'll try to look at both sizes of the metal because obviously there is pros and cons to each solution. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good discussion. All right. And Marla, what keeps you busy? Yeah. I mean, before the snow was flying, how, what was keeping oh, you busy? Yeah. It just, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm Marla and I deal in all things soil management related. Uh, so soil management specialist for Manitoba agriculture and um, deal with compaction, salinity, basically all of the soil problems that people have, I end up getting to uh, tackle and deal with. And, and I also, these days anyway, get to act in the soil fertility role since uh, Mr. John Hurd has retired and somebody's got to cover his desk while he's gone. So I just add more to the list of things that I do. Yeah, soil related. I, I'm still not sure who let him retire. Um, so yeah, exactly. No. And, uh, and we do miss him around, but he's still around everybody. And you may see oh, yeah. him pop on the show once in a while because he can't stay away. Uh, did see him on Facebook over the weekend. I think he was, he was riding in a tractor feeding cows, I think. Uh, so there you go. Mr. Soil Safari John is always around. Okay. So let's dig into it. And as Kyler says, the combine is just the start of tillage season this year. Ouch. <laughs> That that hurts my feelings. Um, <laughs> all right, so yeah. let's start, Marla. Or go ahead, Nick. Yeah. I was going to say that's unfortunately true in a lot of eastern Canada right now with the amount of rain. We had a great September that turned into, a, I guess, a disastrous October. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, getting five, six inches of rain in eastern Ontario and southern Quebec in early October, that's not a good recipe for, I guess mitigating soil compaction and uh it's not getting better right now 
Yeah, it's it's really not. And we do have certainly a lot of the soybeans off, most of them off. But corn, I mean, for many areas, we're just maybe starting, yeah. if at all. So yeah. ah, it, a little scary. It is. It is. I, I guess our only our only luck with corn is at least so far we can still wait for frost. But yeah, that's until they start calling for Manitoba snow. <laughs> Right. Keep it over there, Marla. Um, okay, so so let's start there, though, Marla. Why even have a discussion on tires versus tracks and compaction? What does compaction do? What does it cost us? Oh, goodness. That's the number one question that I don't always have an answer to in terms of cost. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's costing us the ability for water to move through the soil. It's costing us in terms of there is impacts to yield. Um, it can be obviously in small areas, right? If we're talking about things like the tracks versus tires, but it's costing a lot in terms of soil health and the ability for our soils basically to breathe and move water through. And so that ends up being a real big issue. Um, and especially if we're causing all sorts of ruts and things, then it can cost us a lot and having to go till it, go out and till those and try to fix that too. Mm-hmm. As the question of, yes, the start of tillage. Um, Warren says, and Warren, I'm really glad you're on this episode because I, I know that Warren's done a lot of uh, modifications on his farm to try and decrease uh, the compaction impact on his farm. Uh, and he shares, I got a real eye-opener about the efficacy of tracks yesterday with the combine. Did a field that was wet? No marks at all until the empty wagons turned around. Ouch! Okay, so we usually think about the combine for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. And and for good reason. It's a big, heavy piece of equipment. And Nick, you've got some great slides that we'll get to in just a minute on that one. Um, but Nick, is there is there more discussion happening about things like the carts, the buggies, the the other things running across the field more than just combine? Yeah, I mean, combine is still the key piece of equipment we're hearing about, just because it has to make it through the entire field, wet spot, dry spot bottom land you need to go through everything so that's that's still the key focus but there's there's a lot of a lot more talk i would say about flotation on i guess grain buggies or grain carts depending which side of the ontario border you're at but mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah there's there's a lot more talks and it's not just tracks you see you see manufacturers that are offering different track solutions but you're also seeing a lot more manufacturers that are going to put bigger tires they're going to put tandem axles tritums even mm -hmm. on grain carts just trying to increase that footprint reduce that axle load to a minimum and spread the weight on a larger surface that's we're seeing way more of that people trying to be more careful not going in the field with grain wagons with trucks keeping everything on the edge of the field to minimize that compaction so that's the focus is not just on the harvest equipment, but the harvest logistics equipment as well, mm -hmm. I'd say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Marla, you've got actually, uh, Producer Jay, if you could bring up, uh, let's start with the slide that shows the overview of the field, I think. I think it's Marla's second one. Um, and, and, and we hear the stat, and I want to just unpack this a little mm -hmm. bit. That because sometimes we get this question, I'm sure Pete can share on the word, you know, the question of should you follow the same track at harvest? Should you cut across the field? How important is it, especially if conditions are iffy for compaction to to potentially concentrate it in one area? And, and we hear this 80 percent happens in the first pass. So walk me through that. What does that mean for the decisions we make? Yeah, so the 80% happening in the first pass really comes down to some research that had been done looking at, you know, how many, how much total compaction happens over each kind of continuous track or pass over the same spot. And what they had done is they tra they traveled over it four times, the same location four times, and they measured the total like bulk density or the compaction amount that happened over those four passes. And when they assumed, say, the fourth pass to be 100%, just relative to beforehand, 80% of that happened the first time they went across. And then the additional two, three, four passes got the other 20% up to that 100%. So it really just kind of dr drove home the idea that when you are in a kind of a risky situation where you've got a high potential for compaction, recognizing that one pass does a lot of damage, a lot of potential damage. So when you can travel on those same spots, 
um, it really is very helpful. I know when I talk to people about, you know, the grain carts and things or buggies, depending on where you're from, um, you know, when we talk about the grain carts, quite often those are crisscrossing the field, right? The combine's usually going straight up and down, but the grain cart's going crisscross. And you can see that impact afterwards based on how it's traveled across the field. But if you go up at least the past combine tracks, and even if you veer off for unloading and then back on the tracks to get to the headlands, that can eliminate a little bit of those extra strips crisscrossing that you see in that, in that uh, image. Mm-hmm. And the, so in a bad year, um, mm-hmm. I will share if we're going to have an airing of grievances here. Uh, so 2017 was a terrible year here, super wet. And we had to do haylage because we just could not find a window to do bales. And so we ended up doing haylage and those loaded wagons, we did stick to one pass, but we can still pick it out. If you, yeah. if you look in that, on that forage ground, you can still see where those loaded wagons went over and over, uh, between the fields and the bag. Um, cause it was just, it was not great. Uh, Warren says, mm-hmm. let's be honest, the same path means straddling your ruts. Sometimes, Warren, <laughs> sometimes. Okay. Now, uh, but let's get to, so here's one of the things that sometimes surprises people is when the worst time for compaction is. Mm -hmm. Um, We know the dry soil, we're good, uh, but actually it's not necessarily the worst that happens on fully uh, saturated soil. So Jay, if you could go to Marla's next slide or first slide, whichever. Um, Explain, riddle me this one, Marla. What does this mean? Okay, so this, I borrowed this from Francisco Arriaga from uh, University of Wisconsin and uh, And it just kind of helps to show the fact we often talk about soil compaction being worst when soil is moist, as opposed to dry or wet. And that's because when your soil is near, usually near field capacity or as it gets wetter, once all of the pores are kind of fully saturated, that does sort of help to hold the soil in place, even though you get the big messy ruts. Um, that's messing up soil structure around the surface, but deeper down, if everything is kind of filled with water, it kind of gives a little bit of buffer um, because, yeah, it's it's all filled with water. It can be kind of muddy and disgusting, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's compacting the same. Whereas if you have this field capacity where all the big pores have drained out of water, they're full of air, and the small pores are filled with water, and the soil is wetted enough that it can slide on itself a little bit more Then, basically as you go across the field, you might not see the big kind of impact of the rut, but you still have that compressing that's happening because the soil is slicker or the soil can move. And then those air pockets or the air, the big, big pores filled with air can actually compress and compact and compact. And so that's where you start seeing that density increasing. So, it's sometimes a little bit confusing because we see the big ruts in the really, really wet conditions, but the level of compaction might not be the same. The soil structure damage is there, but the soil compaction might not be the same as when we don't really see the big, big, deep ruts because we're in that moist condition. And that's often when we're traveling across the field. Um, mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but that's kind of where it's at. Because it's, it's that, hey, it's dry enough. I can, it carries me. I can go. Right. We, we mm-hmm. don't want to make yeah. all those ruts for a good reason, but we wait, but perhaps need to wait a little longer. But time is money, Marla. We got to rule. Um, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, um, I always say it. compaction is the thing that I hate talking to farmers about because I know that they're never going to like what I have to say, because the only way you can keep it from happening really is to stay off the field, which is completely right. unrealistic. Um, but that's, you know, if you're going to not compact the soil, you just don't travel on the soil and then you don't have a compaction problem. But that's just not the way it works. It's not the way it works. All right, Nick, we got a great question here uh, or rather an observation. So Kevin Bishop is out in uh, in a part of the world that none of us understand, the Fraser Valley, uh, where it is apparently the Garden of Eden and green year round. Um, but uh, Kevin says there's no no tracks out there. And one of the observations as to why potentially is the road travel. So one of the considerations certainly for tracks is road travel. So walk me through that. How do we manage the questions about uh, road travel and tracks? Yeah, so that that is usually one of the main reasons why people will stay away from tracks as, as soon as you have an operation or a farm structure that requires a lot of travel, just because every one of those rollers that run in the track, 
will cause a flexion. So you have peak pressures and you will have also deflection of the material that creates heat. The more heat you get, the heat is the enemy of rubber. So the more heat you generate driving down the road, the lesser the track life you'll get. And the other thing is the track will wear out much, much faster than the tire going down the road. So that's really where you start having to find that compromise between tracks do bring me those benefits in the field for flotation, for compaction reductions in case in some cases as well. But if I need a manure spreader is a good example, that would be a prime piece of equipment to have tracks on. But unless you can fill it in the field, it doesn't really make sense because your cost of operation is going to be quite high because of the track durability on the road. So that's that's where you end up with those sorts of compromises. Tracks are not, I mean, they're made to move from field to field on the road, but they're not made for transport applications. Mm -hmm. So what we need is we need a manure tanker that like slides from driving wheels onto the tracks and then keeps going. Guys, I have this all figured out in my head. I just need to design it. Uh, we're hiring okay? you. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I will totally consult. You can pay me in coffee. Um, okay, so so it, it's a really it's a really good point though, Nick, and definitely one of the considerations for sure that if you've got a farm that you're traveling a lot of roads, uh, that might be a drawback. I mean that that might change the decision for you. Yeah, and I mean you. I think every single one of the solutions we'll discuss today they all have their it's always a a matter of compromise what what's the lesser evil because you're going to have issues of width you're going to have issues of roadability with tracks you're going to have all sorts of different parameters that are unique to each operation so that that's why there is no one size fits all solution out there there is many solutions that are dependent on the farm structure Mm -hmm. now ray debanco Thank you, Ray, for pointing this out. We've we've made a, a clear distinction between egg engineers and either agronomists, entomologists. Nick's comment, you said a compromise, a trade-off, right? Instead yeah. of it depends. So we get a lot of on this show, it depends. Yeah. Uh, so we have a new one, which is the compromise. I like it. Um, <laughs> maybe it's a French thing, but I'm going to go with it's an egg engineer thing versus <laughs> agronomy. What do you think, Marla? I, it's a standard government answer. It depends. That's <laughs> our whole world. That's, that's your whole world. Yeah, there you go. And, and as oh, Pete says, yeah, yeah, Nick works in private industry, not government. So there's your difference, everybody. <laughs> Compromise. Um, okay. Now, so we do have to, I'm going to throw to a clip here just quickly because one of the other things, uh, I do want to talk about, we, I do want to talk about headland compaction, which there's a good question on it. Um, but there's a Jason vote out of Southern Manitoba has, uh, an, a question about, uh, the bigger question with compaction is where it happens. So, what are the differences between clay and sand? What do we need to know about the composition of our soil or the layers of our soil? How might that impact compaction? Marla, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, I guess it's going <laughs> to, it depends. I, this is just going to be happening for all now. I can't stop. From now so on, now you can't get it under your head. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right? It does depend. Thanks, Jason. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, it's it's going to depend on a few things in this case. Um, and I'm going to say a little bit more. For me, it's maybe less about the act of it compacting as much as the alleviation part of the compaction, where this is where it, it, it kind of makes a bigger difference in terms of when I look at, you know, how to manage the, the situation after the fact, because I see that Jason's next comment after that was around deep ripping. Um, and tools like subsoilers and things like that and how effective they are. And when we're dealing with our clay soils, at least in the Red River Valley here in, in Manitoba, and soils that have that cracking and swelling or shrinking and swelling kind of um, ability, they kind of subsoil themselves. They open up and break up kind of compacted layers by opening up. But with the sandy soils, you don't get that because they don't have that same ability to move. And so the few times, and it's only been a handful of times and in you know, the last 15 years that I've actually recommended subsoiling has usually been on a very fine sandy soil that doesn't have that clay content to actually allow it to breathe and break up um, when it wets and, and when it goes through dry cycles, essentially. So that's my, I, I guess that's my take on it is actually more in the management side after the fact than, uh, than the act of it 
traveling over it and the track versus tire but maybe nick knows more about specifically how that would then with the tracks and tires and and impacting the different soil types mm -hmm. i mean ultimately in terms of traffic i'd say you know clay heavy clay soils will tend to probably have more sensitivity to that traffic mm -hmm. just because you know the bearing capacity is going to be lower but like you said yeah. you know as when it comes to managing it it's it's probably easier on clay soils because they're cracking and i guess one point and that's going to be a question for you at the same time i guess i'm allowed to ask questions but absolutely <laughs> uh, you are yeah uh, i know one thing you mentioned dr drought is a great subsoil in my mind i farm heavy clays mm. i like when it's dry because it makes it crack but there's that perception mm -hmm. also that fr you know, frost will, yeah. will have that same impact. And I'd like to hear you about it because my observations are t at the surface, maybe, but you go deeper. Oh, okay. <laughs> Marla, just wait. Hang on. Cause that's, I didn't even know we were going to have that conversation and it's a really good one. Oh, we're so, jumping pause. ahead. Yeah. So wait, so pause. <laughs> I was going to throw to a clip, but I'm just going to throw producer Jay, if you could throw to our, our second read of the night. And then I want to have this conversation. Absolutely. Okay. Tonight's show is brought to you by Adama Canada, Enlist E3 from Corteva, and Acadian Plant Health. Build a strong, high-yielding crop from the ground up. Acadian Plant Health biostimulants improve nutrient use efficiency and build crop resiliency against weather stress at each critical stage of development. For 40 years, Acadian Plant Health has developed biostimulant solutions used on over 100 crops in more than 80 countries worldwide. Find out how at AcadianPlantHealth-NA.com. So I'm just going to warn everybody, I just spotted a wasp buzzing around in here. And so if I go flying off the screen, it's because I'm being chased anyway. Um, and it's not even an entomologist episode. Uh, okay, so uh, I see Phil Needham. I think that's Phil in the chat. And he's also jumping ahead, which I love. It means we're on the same page here. But Marla, let's go there. We, yeah. we have this discussion of freeze-thaw cycles, solving some of our compaction problems. There are regional mm -hmm. differences, sure. But in your backyard in Manitoba, how much do you depend on freeze-thaw cycles to break up compaction? Well, the problem right now is that my soil in the backyard is insulated by a little bit of snow. Mm. So it's going to limit how much freeze-thaw is happening and it's not happening to the same degree. Um, that it could happen if I didn't have the same insulation factor going on right now. But that freeze thaw is really just attacking that top bit of so soil, like the maybe the top six to eight inches, depends on how deep it goes. And the reason why it's that we need multiple freeze thaw effects in order to break it up. And so when you when you freeze deep, when we have those years where we actually get a good deep frost, it freezes once and then it thaws out and you only get that multiple effect happening right at the surface. So you have that potential impact for breakup of the, you know, through freeze thaw effects, but that's really, again, just at the surface. It's the deep cracking that you get from that wetting and drying, especially again on our vertisolic clay soils in the valley that allow that soil to break up. And, you know, when you can get a crack that's five feet deep, then that's doing a lot deeper, you know, deeper action in the soil than the subsoiler can. So, that's really kind of how we talk about it. That too is that the wetting and drying kind of causes uh, the vertical cracking, whereas the um, the uh, freeze thaw causes more horizontal cracking in the soil than vertical. And so that, again, it just doesn't get to the same depth of, of breaking up the compaction. It's not as effective in the long run. Mm -hmm. so, so it really helps when we go through these dry periods for sure. Yeah. So Nick, I think you have, this is a light bulb moment. You have determined the one benefit of drought. That's it. That's, it's that's a great subsoiler. It's a subsoiler. <laughs> that is the only benefit. All right. Um, okay. So uh, yes, Mr. Phil Needham in the chat with Needham Egg um, talking about planters. And so again, reading my mind, um, and this is fantastic, but we, and we've got some good slides, Nick, that I do want to get to about the combine because yes we think about fall we think about buggies or carts everybody in the chat let me know is it a buggy or is it a cart and tell me where you're from because i'm pretty sure the canadian shield is going to delineate which is which um but compaction happens at other times and planting and seeding is one of those times where it certainly can um 
Especially if we think about, like, we have gigantic planting units on little, little, bitty tires. So, so Nick, how do you, like, how much compaction is happening at planting? You do get quite a bit, especially with those center-filled planters that run on tiny tires, like you said, truck tires that basically will carry 10, 15,000 pounds on you know, a few hundred square inches. And then you have that soil that's probably been worked in the spring. So it's soft, tires go down, mm-hmm. then they're going, they're going compact, they're going to, to affect your infiltration. And I mean, this is, when I look on our side with tracks, this is probably the one application where we've seen there's an actual dollar value. You can pinpoint the the yield loss you're getting from that pinch compaction it, of all the operations happening on the farm that's the one that we can actually do it there's been research by uh, ohio state university has done a lot of work on this quantifying that yield drag on those pinch rows that happen in the middle section of a corn planter uh, and it's you know you're talking four five six bushels per acre which can be pretty significant and mm-hmm. Again, it's a matter of compromise. You're trying to get as much as possible planted in a short, in a small window. So you're trying to carry as much seed as possible and not stop too often. Mm-hmm. But then the drawback is you end up with that compaction happening in the middle section of your planter. And I mean, I'm talking row crops, but you go out west, you'll have those massive air seeders now up to yeah. 1300 bushels of fertilizer and seed mm-hmm. that you're carrying over fairly soft ground and as a difference to what we have in Eastern Canada on untiled ground, you know, that ground, there's no, there's no tiled drainage or anything. So that's a lot of weight to carry. And I would tend to say that spring conditions are probably even more problematic with compaction than fall conditions, because you have the surfaces is, can be kind of dry, but the, you know, it's going to dry out from the top going down the bottom. Whereas in the fall, it's the opposite. You're wetting the top, but the bottom might be drier. So you do have perfect conditions for having that compaction go down the soil profile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Marla, you're, you're, you're nodding along. How, yeah, I'm just, how, <laughs> just Well, because I think about exactly that, those gigantic, you know, seating units. That is what mm-hmm. we see, Red River Valley into Saskatchewan, Alberta. And, you know, yes, they've dueled up the tires and those sorts of things, but there's still the opportunity for sure for quite a bit of compaction to happen. Is that a conversation happening with growers? I think we don't talk about it enough. I think we get so hung, kind of hung up on the fall compaction because, again, we do have some big equipment in the fall and we've got, you know, the grain carts just get, get, keep getting bigger and bigger and they're heavier and heavier and they might not have multiple axles. And so that can change things a little bit. Um, but the one thing we don't talk enough about is in-season compaction. So that in-season compaction happening at time of seeding that is actually impacting through to the fall. So it's actually impacting this year's crop. You might have a dry fall or something that breaks that up for next year, but it, it impacted the crop this year. And so that is something that I think we don't talk enough about, the fact that we go through these processes of kind of recompacting the soil in the spring um, when we're in those conditions. And spring is definitely, I agree, a, a riskier condition quite often just because we know we're going to have moisture because unless we had no snow, we've got some level of moisture that's sitting there in that surface. Marla, does frozen ground compact? Because Kevin's being a bit cheeky, but it's a great point. Prairie Farms plant with the subsoil still frozen. How can it compact? It's frozen. It's good. Well, the surface yeah. isn't though. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yes. That's where, that's where we grow stuff, Kevin. Um, so yeah, so there you go. Okay. So we do, we do have Margaret. Uh, hello, Margaret. Margaret May has got a great question. What is the best piece of equipment to install tracks on? So Nick, if you could, if you could say everybody, you get tracks and you could be Oprah, you could get everybody tracks. What piece of equipment, what piece of equipment are you putting it on? I'm making a meme tonight about this, but <laughs> <laughs> you get tracks and you get tracks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd look at it from two point of views. Definitely, like I said, the planter is probably the one where it's the most easily measurable one. Mm. Like Marla said, you can actually follow that yield loss, that potential loss that you had in the spring. You can follow it all the way through winter. You don't uh, all the way to harvest. You don't have. Yep 
other field operations that are going to break up that compaction or have much more additional impact on soil compaction between that seeding pass and what happens at harvest. So I, from a financial standpoint, I'd be tempted to say that this is where most of it is happening. But then, you know, from without being able to necessarily put a dollar amount on it, that you have a break even, harvest equipment is getting so heavy. It's, I mean, you've got those 2,500 bushel carts. You've got those combines that are hitting close to 100,000 pounds on the front, mm-hmm. sometimes on the front axle. There is just so much weight being dragged around the field at harvest that, to me, some of the bigger equipment, it's almost a necessity now to be on tracks. Mm-hmm. It, it's, and it's not because I work in the track business. It just, there's just not enough space to put enough tires to carry that load properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug McComb, also out of Quebec, uh, says he'll be the first buyer of the hover combine. So we have mm-hmm. so far, I'm going to figure out how to change a manure tanker from, from tires to tracks in the field. And now we need a hover combine. Um, I will also say, Doug, we probably need a hover seeding planting unit too. Uh, but I'm pretty sure Manitoba already does that when they, uh, they fly on the canola. So in the spring, yeah. which you guys happens more often than you might think. So there you go. Okay. So producer Jay, if you would, if you would queue up, cause this does, I want to talk about headland compaction for sure. And then I want to get to some of Nick's, Nick's got some really good slides about exactly what he's talking about with those incredibly heavy combines. Uh, but if you can pull the clip with uh, Peter, we Johnson when he had a bit of a broken wing. I gotta talk about headland compaction. Look at this mess, my gosh! And it's not just this field. Last fall, the fall of 2021, incredibly wet. But the amount of compaction, we could see combine tracks in the winter. One thing about wheat, man, wheat tells all. My great friend Russ Barker, that's his quote, wheat shows all, and it does. When you create that compaction, it shows you it stays yellow. When you create enough compaction, and you can see from these pictures that it was unbelievably wet when we planted here last fall. We wanted to get the wheat in, we pushed it, so that's not wrong, but man, these center fill drills with all that weight on the drill, and in this picture, even though the gang wheels are creating enough compaction that you can see they're really having a negative impact on the wheat and the wheat emergence. And by the way, given the way this wheat field was planted, it looks amazing compared to how you might expect. But we simply can't live with this compaction moving forward. And I know you can see tire tracks through here. It's from the last 28 application on this particular wheat field. But it's, it's repeated compaction. It's the combine. It's the grain buggy. It's the planter. It's the cultivator. It's all the things you're always turning on the headland. And in particular, the planter and the drill, when you lift on the headland, all the weight goes on the wheels. So we simply have to find ways to get better. We need more axles. We need better tires. If we're tires, we have to go to VF tires, try to get more axles so there's more tires and get the air pressure down in those tires so that we're under 15 PSI. I'd like them under 10, I'd like them under eight, but at least get under 15, which is virtually impossible with today's equipment. You can also look at tracks, that's another way, but the wheat shows you that this headland is not yielding anything. If you grew corn on this or soybeans, you would look at this and it would look like there was a crop there. But every time you look at the yield map, these headlands that are compacted and beat to daylights are always red. They are low yielding. And so somehow we have to solve that problem. If you're tile draining, make sure you put an extra run on the headland but it really comes down to the equipment. The equipment does not seem to be getting any smaller. So more axles, more tires, lower pressure, figure it out. Let's grow crop on every acre that we farm. I do love that now 
Pete has to answer questions about when he injured his wrist. He didn't injure it, but I'll let him answer that. Um, anyway, the joy of pulling clips from before. Uh, so, uh, and Pete, maybe you can share how our wheat crop did pretty good in 2022 after that disastrous fall in 21. Um, but it, it, it's a great visual and exactly that wheat will show you just how compacted some things are. Our headlands are always a challenge. We've got a good question here about, you know, why is it that, you know, you go across them once and then it's not so bad after, but then of course this shows up. So Nick, if you would, let's, uh, producer Jay, if you could pull up, Nick's got some really neat schematics here about the weight of some of these combines um, and and just how much compaction they do. So so Nick, if you can sort of, we'll, we'll, we'll have to speed through them, but we can do this. Let's take a look. So basically, just looking, I'm not picking at deer. Uh, all brands are the same, but basically, you go over the last 30 years, and the base combine base combine model has gone from 30, 35,000 pounds, and it kept going up. And I haven't even taken the biggest one. I took the biggest one from three years ago, but it, they went up from you know 30, 35,000 pounds all the way to today. You'll hit 60,000 pounds before you put a single kernel of grain in the tank. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's gotten really, really heavy. They come up with machines that have more capacity, but with that extra capacity comes a lot more weight, five, 10,000 pounds that you need to carry plus all that extra capacity in the tank as well. So it's, it's really growing. Like I mentioned earlier, some of the bigger class 10, 11 combines today, you can hit a hundred thousand pounds, which is mm-hmm. completely unheard of even you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So it's, there's really that inflation in the equipment. And if we go to the next slide, the inflation entire, entire size hasn't followed. You can still order a brand new, I'll use S790 that I was showing. You can order a brand new S790 with the same tire size you could order in 9,600 30 years ago. And you had the combine almost doubled in weight. So you have that same small 400, 500 square inches footprint per tire, but you've got twice the weight driven around the field. And that's becoming a big issue for compaction. So, yeah, and I'm, I'd say combines are a lot better equipped. You know, not everybody picks the, the standard tire size that's way, way too small for the machine, but there's still, there's still some progress to be made there because that footprint is still fairly small when you look at, at the machine weight. You're hitting 15, 20 PSIs when the ground can't necessarily carry that much in wet conditions. Right. All right. Now, uh, if you can go to the next slide, Jay. Um, is this the one I want? Uh, well, we can, yeah, let's let's touch base on this one because we are talking yeah. tires versus tracks. Um what are some of the main, we've talked about road speed, but walk us yeah. through sort of some of the trade-offs. Yeah. So basically road speed is one where tracks will obviously have, uh, you know, some drawbacks compared to tires. On the flip side, there can actually, you know, if on a combine where you move from field to field, you don't actually do transport. You do have the advantage that you may end up with better comfort on the road, especially if you have a suspended track system, because you don't have that air chamber that starts bouncing at every crack and every hole mm-hmm. in the road. So you end up with more stability, more comfort on the roading aspect. When you get in the field, I'd say ultimately the compaction action days, they kind of showed that it's possible to get tires that will do a similar, get a similar performance to tracks. To me, mm-hmm. it's how do you want to reduce compaction? Do you want to reduce, uh, even if you achieve the same pressure, the same level of compaction with the tracks and with the tires, do you want to cover more ground surface or do you want to keep that compaction in a narrower footprint? And that's where tracks will probably give you an edge because you'll have that 36 inch wide footprint that's compacted in the field versus having dual tires where you can pretty much assume that the space between the tires will also see compaction. So you end up with the same level, but more surface in the field that's compacted. So those are, are some of the aspects to, to look at uh, when it comes to tracks versus tires on equipment. And like I mentioned earlier, we're getting to the point where it's hard to even put big enough tires on a combine. You know, putting 700, 710s or 800s, that's starting to... That's starting to be big, even for these equipment. You'd need to add a second axle to a certain extent wow. to be able to to get all that weight down. 
but you don't have that choice. And then putting those really wide tires and dueling them makes the machine extremely wide, which is not necessarily a huge concern in some regions, but you get into more urban areas of Eastern Canada. It's, it's getting hard enough to move equipment as it is. The, the wider you make yeah. it, the harder it gets. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I guess the last point I, I would point out is either c- configuration, you look at tires or tracks, the one part that seems to be forgotten by everybody is the rear, the rear axle. Mm-hmm. You're, they've added tracks, they've added better tires at the front and at the rear as well, but they're, that weight is not all happening on the front axle. There is quite a bit of weight. You, uh, Warren, uh, who's with us, Warren Schneckenberger, he, he's got his Lexon combine on Terra tracks, but I remember him telling me putting a central tire inflation system on the rear axle made the combine completely different. It mm-hmm. may, because yep. now, you know, you go from a track machine where your rear axle is a limiting factor to you're eliminating that limiting factor and you're actually making that ground pressure at the back similar to your track system or your the good tires you would invest in on the front Mm -hmm. axle so it's really important to look at everything on the machine yeah and and so and maybe jay if you i think it's the next slide we've certainly seen and marla i'd love your input uh no it's the one that sort of moves what we can do with tires um in that as you've mentioned we can add more tires we can yeah. change the PSI um, and sort of as we move, we'll come back to these, Jay. Uh, it's keep going. It's next one. This one. Um, right. There's more we can do with tires than just lower the pressure or just add a tire. Um, and we have certainly talked about that central tire inflation system. Um, Marla, there's a really good question. I want to leave this up because I want to talk about a few of these things, but there's a, Gord's got a really interesting question in that obviously we're talking about, uh, you know, or for the most part, we're talking about grain, ground here. Um, but, uh, we do think about as we introduce more cover crops or as we're working in, um, some other aspects of having living roots in the system. So it's a question about, um, does the presence of do roots in the ground uh, do they squish and rebound and recover some of that lost pore space? Are live roots better than dead ones? What are your thoughts on that, Good Marla? I think question. that's a fascinating question. Um, live roots are taking up water. And when water is in some ways the enemy, if, you know, if you're dealing with trying to dry a soil out in order to help carry some of the load, essentially that the live roots um, actually can benefit um, there was a there is a study I can't remember who did it though. There's a study in the back of my mind that they could increase um, the uh, the compaction ability or like decrease I guess the compaction ability by having a cover crop in the field uh, versus having no cover crop when traveling across the field essentially um, and in the fall and uh, and it basically said we could they could go across at a slightly higher moisture content as well than without the cover crop so essentially there was a couple things going on one the live roots can be taking water out of the soil which is helpful but then also the live roots kind of hold and and create a little bit of a a a road bed essentially to travel across which can help to kind of support the soil are a little bit better. It's not a huge amount, but it, it was uh, was a little bit of a, a documented benefit to having the cover crop there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so very cool. Cause I mean, certainly seen anecdotally, some of the things that, that we, cause we graze on cover crops and some has been put in zero till, some has been worked um, and some really interesting observations about how, how things sort of travel across those as well. All right. So I want to go back before we run out of time. Uh, if producer Jay, if you could go back now, a different slide, um, because Nick, I really want to walk through some of these because there's a lot of questions coming in in the chat um, about that, not just the axle weight, but I think that's important. Um, but also, you know, are there sort of hot spots on the pivot points when we're turning and those sorts of things? That's a big question about tires versus tracks on do mm. we worry about um, turning and and sort of the spikes in potentially uh, compaction when yeah. driving. So walk us through some of these, whichever one yeah. might work better. Yeah. So, so uh, what you're seeing here is from the compaction action field, uh, field days that happened in 2017. Great 
source of information I recommend to everybody having a look at it. It's, it's really useful. Uh, so what we're looking at here, for example, is a combine on big singles. And what they did is they took three different sensors at three different depths just to have a look where the impact is happening. Front axle is on the left, rear axle is on, is on the, uh, is on the right. So, uh, what we're seeing here with this, the green line, the green curve being the top, the surface, uh, where you would really try to avoid a ground pressure uh, under, you, you're aiming for 15 PSI or less. And what we're mm -hmm. seeing here with large flotation tires is you're right at that point uh, with the flotation tires at the front, but you do also have, as you go down the soil profile, you also get really close to the threshold for subsoil pressure, which is around eight PSI. Mm -hmm. uh, what I was mentioning earlier with the rear axle, we're really seeing it here, where at, yeah. the, at the soil surface, you, you're going past that point. So on this combine, you'd have more effort to put on fixing the rear than fixing the front to a certain extent, because you get a higher ground pressure with the rear axle. Even though you do have a lesser load, you do have work to do there. If you go to the next slide where we're showing a uh, what a combine track would do, and that's that's one thing when you compare ground pressures, uh, you you want to come. We're not necessarily comparing apples to apples. You have an air chamber on a tire that's spreading the load fairly evenly in terms of mm -hmm. uh, of ground pressure. On a track, you can see the peaks that happen under the bogies, under the idler wheels. So when you look at at figures, when you calculate figures, you're really looking at an average ground pressure. That pressure is not even. You'll have peak under the under those axles, and you'll have uh, you'll have lower pressure points in between. So that's important to keep in mind. I always, when, when I compare or when I make recommendations to customers, rule of thumb is you basically need twice the number of square inches on a track versus tire to start, you know, having a gain. If you, if you're basically, if, if you have a thousand square inches on a tire, you really want at least 2000 on a track to start having an advantage because of that uneven pressure distribution. Uh, you want to have it as even as possible, obviously. The more axles you have, in theory, the less the weight will be on each axle, which is helping. But the you know that point initially where we were mentioning 80% of the compaction happen, happens on the first pass, well, when you look at that train of five or six axles, you'll have less load happening on each but you'll have mm. multiple passes. Uh, what we're often seeing is at the soil surface, those peak pressures are gonna be close to, or maybe even a little bit higher than they are on a tire, which means, uh, you know, a little, bit, a little bit more surface compaction with the tracks versus the tires, but because your axle loads are smaller on each of the small axles, it will not necessarily go down as deep. So that's, that's kind of the big picture here, and again, you look at this and you see rear axle is really the bottleneck on this combine. You, mm -hmm. even though you have good flotation, a uh, fairly low risk profile for, for compaction from the front axle, the rear is really where your issue is happening. Um, and then I guess just hitting the point really quickly about when a combine is turning, I'm, I, I wouldn't say there is more compaction risk, but there is more soil disturbance risk. A track having a longer footprint, will always cause more, more soil disturbance. Obviously a track system like we're seeing on most combines is not as bad as a friction drive tractor, a twin track machine, which basically drives like a bulldozer and will cause more soil disturbance. So it, it's a lot more about soil disturbance than compaction at that point, but it can be an issue, especially during planting where you, you know you wanna have good emergence, good even emergence. If, if you're causing too much rutting on, on the turns, then that can have an impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to just pause quickly. Hang on. My sound has gone somewhere. Um, I want to pause quickly and run our last uh, thank you to our sponsors of the night. And then we've got some really great questions to finish up on here. The Agronomist is brought to you by Adama Canada, Acadian Plant Health, and Enlist E3 from Corteva. Looking for high yields and clean fields? Choose Enlist E3 Soybeans, part of the Enlist Weed Control System. Enlist E3 Soybeans help you control tough weeds, providing herbicide choice and tank mix flexibility. Enlist E3 Soybeans, the best in beans, period. <laughs> 
such a great song. Okay. Um, see, Nick, I told you there would be dancing. Nick didn't know he would have to do any of the dancing, but no, I'll take care of that. Um, okay. So, so a few things have come to light here, I think. So one of them, um, for sure is that we probably need to think more about compaction in the planting or seeding pass than we typically do. Um, the arse end of the combine really needs more attention than it's probably getting. And I mean the axle and the tires. Um, although we do have Phil and Pete on here who would like to talk about residue spreading if given the opportunity. So we'll just put that out there um, for sure. Uh, but uh, we really do, we do have the 80% happening on the first pass, but it's really hard to not necessarily get it on that field when we really want to be on there. So, uh, Marla, when we're trying to put all this together, and there are a few other questions we'll get to, but when we're trying to put this all together, where do you, and as you've, you've hosted some of these compaction events and, and these sorts of things as well, where are farmers making, you know, sort of the, the first steps to trying to significantly decrease their, their compaction on their farm? Uh I think, I mean, we're seeing it with trying to go to uh, like, you know, flotation tires, things like that, trying to make a little bit less overall impact. We'd like to see, I mean, you'd like to see more of that, but tires are expensive too. And so, you know, making those moves, uh, it it takes some deliberate planning. Um, uh, we see the tracks. Uh, we don't always see uh, essentially as big in some of the data that we've seen anyway, as big of an impact on the tracks versus tires if your tires are properly inflated um, and duels and things like that. So, but that, like I said, that we've talked about that, that already has, that has a whole other kind of issue to it as well. A little less slippage and things that we often see in our, our clay soils with the, with the tracks and people really like them that way. Um, and I think, I think just being a bit more deliberate on how we're traveling over the field, uh, is, is kind of that next step. Like I often talk to people again, cause we talk so much about it in fall, but it's when you're going to be in that really crappy fall and everybody's stressed out and you've got to make a plan and the grain cart might be one of the bigger, you know, problems and culprits when it's this big, heavy thing with maybe not as many axles as it should have. Um, in order to keep that from driving it deeper in the ground. And we're driving kind of randomly across the field, being prepared for that in advance, thinking in advance, having a, a plan in place um, and and kind of putting it into action in the years when you don't need it to. So when it's dry, just getting habits formed in terms of how we move a grain cart across the field. Those little tiny tweaks, I think, are important. They're not going to solve all the problems, but I think that they definitely can. We've seen some people move into, you know, controlled traffic farming and things like that, too, which then mm -hmm. gets you just setting your tracks in the field. And that's the roadbed that you're traveling across. And and that can do a lot of good in certain soils as well when you know that you've got kind of high risks. But that in itself is also a big modification to the field and we are or to the farm itself. We are seeing more and more people interested in doing it. Um, but in Manitoba, it's still not that super common uh, a practice yet. Mm -hmm. um, some really great comments happening uh, in the chat as well, talking about, uh, you know, for tractors anyway, that the the advancements in central uh, the central tire inflation really have made it um, a much easier thing to address on the tractors, but that certainly on combines those tracks really shine, which I think is a, a fair comment as well. Um, there is a good question here that Warren's got, which uh, Nick Warren credits you with with why he's got the setup he does and why he's continued on this path. Um, so there's been lots of conversations, I think, on on trying to solve some of these compaction issues. Um, but uh, Warren wanted to know about if you have an undercarriage of a track that is narrower than the width of the belt, do you get a benefit from the track that is outside the undercarriage? So does that track outside of that really carry all that much or spread out that weight? So... You're, you're, you're not going to get the full advantage of the track width. So assuming you have a narrow on the carriage, 18 inches wide, because you put narrow belts for side dressing or planting and then go to wider belts later in the season. If you're not changing the wheels to spread that load, the track does have some lateral rigidity that's going to transfer a little bit of that pressure to the unsupported part. 
but not a whole lot. So really what you have is an 18-inch belt. Even though it's 24, for example, on that 18-inch right. undercarriage, you're working like an 18-inch belt. It may stay a little bit cleaner. It may float a little better. But in terms of compaction, you're not getting everything you could from that wider track. So right. that's – and I mean, there's manufacturers that are on purpose not necessarily using the entire – the entire track surface. You don't necessarily want to go all the way to the edge of the track with your undercarriage right. with wider wheels because you're going to get weird wear patterns that are not ideal. But if if you're four, five, six inches from the edge, you're definitely not getting everything you could from your track system. Yes. Yes. So it, it, it's the, it, it's worth investing the time and the money to you know put wider mid-rollers or wider wheels to spread that load a little wider if you're going to swap belts from one to the other. Mm -hmm. um, we have, I think, at least two other sessions being discussed in the chat right now that I will add to my list. So one, Jason wants to talk about deep rippers and subsoilers, uh, the difference and where they fit and don't fit, uh, which, okay, I'll add it to my list, Jason. I think that's fair. Um, and then we've got perhaps a few other ones on uh, just central tire inflation systems, frankly. Um, but I'll be honest, everybody, I like talking about plants and bugs and livestock. So this is a lot for me, okay, <laughs> to have to talk about tires and tracks, because I also know how much all of this stuff costs, and it makes me want to barf. So when it comes to, I don't care if it's a track, I don't care if it's a tire, they break, and then I have to pay for them, and then I weep openly because they're very expensive. So that's all I'll say about that. Um, yeah. Marla, you look like you want to weigh in on that one. No, no. I was just looking over at my very old dog who's trying to make all sorts of noise over here in the corner. Sorry. <laughs> so you're muting. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, we have had many animals join this show. Uh, so we've had cats walk across. I was going to yeah. say, I don't think this one needs to. Needs to join this show. We've had <laughs> dogs barking. We've had kids running. It's all good. Um, yeah. It's so awesome. we, yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Wooly pig. Yes. Peter finally mentioned something about my sweater. It has sheep on it. Thank you very much. Our <laughs> wooly pigs, as he would say. Uh, yes, that's right. So, so there's a, there's so many things to, try to put together from from this discussion tonight and i thank you both for having that that yes marla to your point i mean this is something that there needs to be a plan for and the avoidance tactic uh from the equipment side there's a lot to consider as well and where those tracks versus tires fit um but nick i mean to your point you can do a really good job with tires but it's going to take some attention to the size of the tire how many tires the, in, the inflation etc we can't just smack them on and away you go yeah, yeah, and I'd say, you know, you have to pay as much attention when you order new equipment because that's when it's the cheapest. Pay as much right. attention as possible on tire equipment or track equipment or whatever you put, you want to put on. It's the time to do it. You know, you should at least invest as much money in your tires as you do in a leather seat or massaging seat in, in your tractor cab because you, you need to massage your soil before you massage your rear end <laughs> I, I that is yes, the quote of the night that. yeah exactly yeah. the quote of the night yes and i would agree so this hour has absolutely flown by uh thank you both so much so many great questions um wonderful to see everyone in the chat i feel like we're back in the groove of Monday nights of, of me seeing everybody here. Um, I've got the next two or three weeks planned. Um, but after that, it's I'm starting to put together all these ideas. So I love having, I always say it's a successful show if we've named two or three other episodes we need, or we have discovered someone's master's or PhD pro project. So I think we can call this one a success. Um, and we've also come up with maybe some technologies that need done. Uh, so thank you, Marla. Thank you, Nick. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge with us tonight. Thank you. No problem. All right. And thanks to everyone joining us in the chat as well. Good to see all of you. And uh, of course, thank you to our show sponsors, to Adama Canada, to uh, Corteva Enlist E3, and to Acadian Plant Health. And uh, yeah, this is my sheep sweater, everybody.
Although right now I don't feel like I want any sheep. I'll be honest. Uh, they're a pain in the butt right now. Um, hey, when are, when aren't they? Okay. So from tonight's episode, please, if you collect those CEU credits, head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomists. Uh, let us know you watched the episode. Uh, next week we are going to talk about choosing varieties and hybrids. Um, and, uh, in the face of weed, weed spectrums and what we might need to think about as far as herbicide tolerance. So we'll be doing that next week. So come on back here, 8 p.m. Eastern, join us uh, live on The Agronomist next week. We'll see you then. Cheers, everybody.